0: Hello, it's Fangraphs Audio, Carson Stulley. Each week lead prospect analyst, Kyla McDaniel, appears on Fangraphs Audio to discuss prospects and matters uh, relevant to the world of prospects. What follows represents this week's conversation with Kyla McDaniel, during the course of which he discusses uh, which GMs and scouting directors uh, have been seen at which prep and college games and what implications uh, those appearances might have for the 2015 draft. He also discusses uh, in some depth his mostly responsible mock draft for uh, 2015, that is for the amateur draft that occurs in June. He discusses uh, the mock draft he published last Friday. Uh, he also uh, addresses who the D-backs, the D-backs, the Arizona D-backs have the number one overall selection, uh, who they might be selecting and uh, whether uh, the D-backs themselves know the answer to that question. Perhaps they do. Also, uh, they might not. Is it turns uh, out is what one finds. Um, so that is all to follow, and of course, much more than that. Uh, as he does uh, each week, Kyla McDaniel has this week supplied a musical interlude uh, so for this area between the introduction and the actual conversation. So what you can look forward to is uh, the end of this introduction, m- and then a brief musical interlude, and then a conversation with Kyla McDaniel. It is, thank you, Featuring that uh, that same Kyla McDaniel And it begins right now I'm living in that 21st century Doing something mean to it Do it better than anybody
1: you ever seen Do it screens from the haters Got a nice ring to it I guess
0: if he's too big, don't need his same music No one man should have
1: all that power The clock's ticking, I just count the hours Going to
0: Chattanooga what is that in terms of hours? Uh, it's a little under two.
1: Although oh. judging with the the margin for error with Atlanta traffic, I'll just assume it'll be two.
0: Okay. Oh wow. All right. So I didn't realize Chattanooga is that close. Uh, that's very good. Yeah, it's
1: like it's like right on the border. Right on the border, border. Tennessee okay. and Alabama, or Tennessee and Georgia.
0: Do you have you been to Chattanooga before?
1: I have, well I've driven through it a bunch of times. I've been to a game there once before, uh, mm-hmm. to see Zach Lee pitch, uh, two years ago I think?
0: Dodgers prospect uh, Zach Lee.
1: Uh huh. They used to be a Dodgers affiliate and I was excited because I thought I was going to get Urias and Seeger this year and then they switched this year to a Twins affiliate but they now have an even more loaded team although no Urias and Seeger would have already been promoted by now. Uh, they now have Buxton, so no, I'm going tonight because uh, Jose Barrios is throwing another top 50 prospect. They've got Jake Reed and Nick Birdie in the bullpen, and they got a bunch of other guys that are in there like top twenty-five. It may be one of—I think it might be the deepest team other than Pawtucket in the minor leagues as far as prospects. Very cool. Very cool. And, uh, and they're and they're playing Jackson, a Mariners affiliate, which has DJ Peterson uh, and Danny Holson among others. So it's a pretty among, nice.
0: And Dario Pisano.
1: <laughs> it's true. He's also there, which <laughs> I have contended is my favorite order at Pizza Hut.
0: <laughs> Okay, it's an Italian joke.
1: Actually, it's a Pizzone joke because it's terrible and I don't think they have it anymore. His name is close to that.
0: Yeah. I think one should always be suspicious when new kinds of – when American companies are introducing new kinds of ethnic food. You mean mean, Taco Bell? (laughs) Well, yeah, right. It's like – Guess what? You haven't thought of to put this in a taco yet. (laughs) It's it's just like these people are already doing a good job with the cuisine. Then just, yeah, or else this wouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't be a restaurant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just let. Just do. Just do better. Just make the food better. But well, I guess you'll
1: be the, you'll be excited to hear one of the test markets was in Atlanta. They're going to do a new uh, toothpaste and uh, detergent in a taco. They're going to be going nationwide soon. Good the antifreeze right. one. The antifreeze one didn't test very well, so they're not.
0: <laughs> all the people are dead. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They're all dead. Actually, I was just reading today for reasons you don't need to know uh, that the abiding. Uh, wisdom regarding the current wisdom, current directive from like whatever the American Academy of Sciences and Medicine, whatever, is uh, if a child or if you swallow a harmful chemical, do not ingest syrup of ipecac uh, to induce vomiting. Instead, uh, you should drink milk or some other sort of base.
1: Uh, get good. This Can week's we program. Baseball, I get,
0: yeah. This week's program is sponsored by the American Academy of Health and Science.
1: They were – yeah, they narrowly edged out the New England Journal of Medicine. They were really angling for that sponsorship.
0: We're doing a lot of work with nonprofits recently. (laughs) It's actually –
1: Industry it, journals are itching to get to our listeners.
0: It's the equivalent of uh, how Barcelona had UNICEF on their on their jerseys for a while. This yeah, well, how much money does UNICEF have? Well, I mean, they well they have enough money to help children in need, but I think that it was a. But well, they terrible, also got another
1: twenty million to. No, to it get was into charitable. They, oh, it was okay. Barcelona. I would not that.
0: It wasn't like UNICEF was coughing up millions, although their children were. Unfortunately, they were coughing. <laughs> it's it's in poor taste. All
1: right. Uh, too, too soon. So Kids you're going. Is never a topic.
0: So you're going to Chattanooga. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's
1: two hours. BP starts like around four, so I want to make sure I don't get caught in traffic.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And do you know anything else? Do you know anything else about Chattanooga?
1: I mean, uh, there's a song I was told or sung to when I was young called the Chattanooga Choo Choo. More of that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I almost always felt wrong the first time.
0: Oh, Chattanooga. Yeah. Some 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 combination of T's and O's.
1: It's, it's like the Cincinnati of the South.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And
1: also, their park is a, a, a very steep incline in a nice sort of downtowny area. It was a little little nicer than I thought it would be.
0: Okay. Alright, that's a nice thing to know. Yeah. There's a lot
1: of stairs to walk, though. It's like at the top of a hill, so it's a little tricky.
0: Okay. Well, the, that's good information about Chattanooga. We will, we'll get some recon, uh, from you, uh, next week. The, uh, in the meantime, have you, have you seen anything, um, have you seen anything since we last spoke? Because, you are required to say something if you've seen something. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, you uh, you, you, you went thought... to some game. You went to another Daz Cameron game, I think.
1: No, I actually, I was going to go yesterday, and then I decided not to. And it turns out he went over 3, and his team got eliminated, so I didn't miss very much. Okay. Uh, no, I went to, I'd say, one of the scouting events of the year, uh, which was the... Was it
0: a gala? For... Was it a gala for scouts?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's black tie only.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, it was Tyler Stevenson, the guy I think I brought up on here before. I've seen twice before this spring. Uh, who wasn't on the showcase circuit, so kind of people are kind of scrambling to get extra looks on him. Uh, his team had a second-round playoff game, and in Georgia, playoffs are a two-game se- or a three-game series, really. Uh, but they play the doubleheader on the first day, so a lot of times it'll end the first day. Uh, in this case, his his uh, team split, and so they played the deciding one yesterday. Actually, I didn't even check to see if they won that game or not. Now I'm curious if they won. Uh, but that game had a GM, five scouting directors, four or five VPs, tons of scouts. Uh, the team's parents were screaming at each other the entire game. Uh, Stevenson hit a home run, then got intentionally walked three times in a row, then hit another home run to ice the game. And I happen to have, or it's the second game after they lost the first one. And then I happen to have my camera out for that second home run, and he had a majestic bat flip, which has now been viewed on Vine over 500,000 times.
0: And what was the uh, what day was that? What day was that game? Earlier? That was on Wednesday. Wednesday. And the last part of
1: the story is, I just got a call from MLB Network asking if they could use the Vine on TV later today. So it's about it's about to go multimedia. This thing.
0: My God. My God. Yeah. And now I see
1: Kenneth, uh, his team, Kennesaw Mountain, uh, won the rubber match yesterday, so they will be moving on.
0: Okay, so and Tyler Lots Ste- of news. Tyler Stevenson, as you've written, has uh, uh he's rocketed up the potential draft rankings. Yeah, he was seen
1: as like a top three, four round guy entering the spring, and then he performed really well. And was he's six four two ten, and is a shockingly good receiver uh for a kid that's that big. Normally, if you're six four and someone says he's a catcher, you immediately just rule it out. He's actually really good back there. Uh it looks natural, he gets low in his squat, his hands are good, he's got a seventy arm, uh everything looks right. And so all of a sudden now you got like a Matt Weeders looking dude, uh, with above average power, a little bit of bat speed, not a ton, and looks like he can stick behind the plate, and he's been performing this spring. And the, the game and a half I saw, one of them was rained out, he didn't really hit and he had one game where he faced a guy throwing ninety six and that guy only lasted an inning or two because uh, this is junior and didn't have a ton of command. And he hit Stevenson with the first pitch. So I didn't get to see him face good velocity. And the team he played this week was Milton, the team that had Dylan Cease last year. that's a pretty good uh, team. Uh, and he faced a lot of guys starting, like in the mid-80s. Like It was one one guy in the low 80s that was kind of like a, a lefty command guy. So you get to see him against decent velocity, and he had two home runs. And apparently last week when I didn't see him, Jake uh, Stewart, the GM of the Diamondbacks, was there. He had two more home runs, including an opposite field grand slam that iced the game. So he's been performing a lot in the last two weeks and uh se- seems to be enjoying himself. <laughs> and the GM that was there, Ruben Amaro, was uh, not hiding how enthused he was by watching this guy.
0: Oh yeah, the the the, Phillies GM. The Phillies have a pretty high pick, so I guess he doesn't have to be right. Yeah.
1: Speaking of picks, Carson, I just posted my mock draft, and it is chock full of tidbits, just like that one.
0: Yes, uh, indeed. That uh, that mock draft you just put it up today. That's something about which we're going to speak. In fact, (laughs) in fact, we can. I want to say the first, the strongest part of the mock draft is uh, at around fourteen or fifteen, when you uh, when you write. I deputize you to irresponsibly make the rest of the mug draft using this information. First of all, uh first of all, love as a person I I don't know if I ever have been before, but I loved being deputized. Um so I appreciate that. Also, um I love an invitation to do anything irresponsibly. That's yeah, so true. It was, it was a strong sentence, is what I'm fear, trying to say, Kylie. Beer commercials never tell us to be irresponsible, and I'm letting you do it. I'm giving you license. <laughs> the um uh, now, with regard to that, however, um, what is – what for you – what is less irresponsible about the first 13 or 14 picks that you've suggested? Uh, well,
1: while there is uncertainty about the first pick, which I wrote a whole piece about yesterday and then wrote even more stuff about today, uh, so people – I was thinking I wouldn't do a mock draft for another week because I was going to do different scenarios at once. So like if they take this guy, then this is how the first four or five picks will go. Like a choose
0: your, own, of- choose your own, choose your own adventure of the drafts.
1: Yeah. And the more I kind of make calls about the Arizona thing trying to figure out what they were doing is that they haven't figured out what they're doing yet. So I could give you different scenarios, but it's, you know, going to be one of those. And I could spend all this time trying to tell you, well, like the fourth most, you know, uh, uh, most likely scenario would play out. I was just like, that's just too much work. And I'd rather just give you one scenario and give you all the information. And one version of this that I wrote yesterday was just, I didn't make a pick. I just gave you all the info, and then I bolded the guy I thought they would take. And I was like, well, at some point, let's let's just write the name at the top, and then you can shuffle them around if you want to. So I, uh, I think I'm getting more information earlier this year than I did last year. Uh and I think that's because I'm way more important and maybe even better looking. <laughs> I, uh
0: that, well that's the implication uh, I've got uh <laughs> when you're starting from such a low point uh, yeah. the uh yeah the curve is easy at that point. Listen, Kylie.
1: Yeah, sorry, I'm listening.
0: Let me ask you a question. At what point from your experience Will a team settle on who like will the team like the Diamondbacks, which have the first which club has the first overall pick? At what point will they generally settle on it? I mean, there's not really any pressure, express pressure for them to do it until, you know, technically speaking, like a minute before the draft. But at the same time, if they would like to, you know, contact that player uh, and maybe make some arrangements, uh, then obviously the earlier is better. So, what for you is does history suggest?
1: Especially if the place you're going to take them to dinner needs like a, a lot of reservation far in advance. Mm-hmm. You, you'd hope it'd be more than a few minutes.
0: Now, do they use open table for that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Number one picks do not go to open table restaurants. They they go to the places where they have the wine that Napoleon owned. That's the kind of places they go.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, so I actually worked for a team that was making a number one pick one year. Uh, I worked for the Pirates the year that they took Eric Cole. Um, now, I can't – I wasn't in this sort of – you know, I guess the smoke-filled rooms where the, where the decisions are being made. Uh, so
0: Garrett Cole smokes is what you're trying to say.
1: <laughs> I mean, fastball does at least. <laughs> yes, um, so I can't say exactly the stage, uh, and obviously that would just be, you know, one team in general. Uh, but I think, especially when you're the number one pick and you know they're, you're not waiting on anyone else, you have, you know, sort of a group in your mind, a scouting director, maybe even just privately to himself will think, all right, that's probably the guy at this point, but maybe he doesn't want to, you know, poison the well, so he won't say this is the guy I'm leaning toward, or maybe he'll give some implications to his guys and, you know, other teams will, you know, guess based on what games he's at and things like that. Uh, I would say typically by this point, it's been decided for most years. We know that it hasn't been decided for the Diamondbacks or else their GM wouldn't be crisscrossing the country like crazy, <laughs> uh, along with all their other guys. Um, So, yeah, I I would say typically about a month out, you probably get to the point where you've decided. And usually two or three months out, you've got it narrowed down to a few guys. Uh, and especially, I think now, like when I when I was with the Pirates for uh, the year we took Cole, that was last year before the bonus pool. So it wasn't necessarily a thing where you needed to know who you were going to take a couple weeks in advance. So you could work out that deal, know how much money you had left over, maybe try to do some uh, some wrangling to figure out a mid first rounder. You could promise some money to to get him slipped to your second round pick and things like that. You didn't have to do that. And that is especially clear because we took Josh Bell in the second round that year, who I think there were 29 other teams that weren't even going to draft him because they thought he was Uh This year, and especially given the players the Diamondbacks are looking at, they are trying to figure out, all right, who are our – you know, retail options at one, who is a cut rate option, and who is a way cut rate option. And then with those three scenarios, who do we take with our other picks? All right, which one of these portfolios, potential guys that we take do we like the most? All right, that the potential guy we take with that second round pick that we think is a mid-first round that we would overpay, uh you know, high in the second round. We need to get somebody else to see that guy. And that's kind of the standard right now, which is they have – they've been given an envelope with options and they're kind of doing their due diligence and making sure these are the options we would take if we went down these you know, three different roads, which I think is, you know, like I said, retail cut rate and weight cut rate. I think those are the three options they have. And I think you want to narrow it down to one guy at the first round pick for those three options. And then maybe two or three guys for the second and third picks for each of those options. And that's where they are right now. Uh, I think they are leaning – uh, close to retail on a college guy. I think it'll be Tater Swanson. Uh, at this time yesterday, I didn't think that. <laughs> so, uh, it's still changing. Uh, but like I said, they haven't decided yet either. And I, I think the guy who is making the pick, I'm not sure. I think it's either Dave Stewart to John Watson or Tony LaRusa. Probably Stewart and LaRusa are going to make the pick. I think they know who they're going to take or who they're leaning toward or who's the most likely one. But I don't think either one of them have decided yet either. Which is unusually late. Uh, I talked to a team picking, uh, we'll say, in the middle of the top ten, um, and uh, they said they've never been this unsure of who's going to go in front of them, and they, and they're picking, you know, in the middle of the, of the top ten. So,
0: so if it seemed to follow that if the Diamondbacks don't necessarily know what they're doing, then that is going to influence uh, the teams behind the Diamondbacks. But I would also think that. That, to some degree, that's always gonna be the case because team, like if you're picking uh, three or five or eight or fifteen, like you're gonna have a set, you're gonna have those sort of contingency plans that you mentioned, um, that you were attempting to represent, uh, you would, you would start at a piece that would attempt to represent those and then you realized it was not worth it for you. But if a team, if you're, th- that team picking at number ten or whatever, you do maybe have some sort of flowchart or some sort of contingency plan.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, that's true. I, I would say for me, doing all the different scenarios would suggest that I know what the other options would be. Like like if they take – uh if Arizona takes Whitley at one, I know this will be what they take at two. The only question is which guy they take at one. Like I don't know that. So it would be stupid for me to say for certain I know that. And these teams, like say you're Houston at five, you just make a top five and you'll get one of those guys. Like it's – it's simple in that regard and just put them in an order, you know, so you're like, all right, this guys third on our board, we could take him at 5 because a couple of guys went in front of us that we wouldn't have taken. Uh so in that sense it's super easy, but yeah, you'd like to know who you're going to get.
0: And is it are there any teams that are that are well positioned right now? I know that the what was it a couple years ago, the Royals were able to get both Hunter Dozier and then Shamaniah. And then Shamanaya, right? And uh and the, I, other teams have done this before, where and, and you've mentioned it yourself that you talked about the, the something less than retail or bargain bin or I forget what term you use. But the point is, where yeah, you give you take an underslot guy to start with, and then way someone whose bonus demands are maybe a little bit higher, you have room for them later on. Do you? Are there any teams from, that are particularly well positioned for this right now?
1: Uh, yeah, Arizona, I pointed out in the piece I read about Arizona that they are not because their second pick is 43. So even if there is a guy that should go, you know, 19th and you're going to give him 13th overall money, some team could just take him at 22 and offer him 1.8 if you're promising him 2.1 and he's going to sign. So they're, they're far enough apart that they still can't, even if they have the financial hammer, it doesn't mean they get to pick the guy anyway. Like, Buster Posey said he wanted $10 million, and the Giants just said, we'll sign you and give you six or five or whatever they did, and you're going to take it. And it's like, yeah, okay, he did. Like, at some point, they're not going to turn down the money. So so that's a concern for them. Uh, there isn't – I'm trying to see if there's a team that has – because ideally speaking, if you want to do what Arizona's doing, you'd want to pick at, like, 1, 15, 25, and 40, which it would be very difficult to make that happen. Because, uh, I mean, just with the way the picks fall, you have to get a bunch of compensation picks in different spots. Uh, another way to do that would be to pick like around 10 or so where you're still in that sort of top tier and then also pick, you know, basically pick every 10 or 15 picks for a couple slots after that. Uh, the Braves I think have the most picks sort of, uh, spread out. Uh, so they're at 14, 28, 41, and 54. Oh, okay. And then again at 75, a pick they just traded for. Uh, and then 89 in the third round. So they have a lot of money, then they can go way over or way under at a couple of those picks, but they also don't pick until 14, and I think some of the guys that they really want, like Tyler Stevenson, would be one of them. I think he's going to go four or five picks in front of them. So, I mean, ideally they'd be picking like seventh if they want to do that right because, you know, that, that sort of top tier of players can play out however you want. You're just going to get one of them, and then you can adjust later. And I would say one other consideration because – uh, I think I just keep saying that you just when you're picking this high, the top you know half of the first round, you just take the best player. There is an interesting scenario for Houston, who's at two and five. They like both the two top college shortstops, Dansby Swanson at Vandy and Alex Bregman at LSU. And I pointed out, I think one of the reasons uh, why I think they'll take Brendan Rogers, the high school shortstop that's up in that range at two, if. uh if both of the short, all three of the shortstops are there, is because if you take Rogers at two, it frees you up to take Bregman at five because they're eighteen and twenty-one, so they would be at two separate levels. Mm-hmm. It would be very weird with your two top picks to take two college shortstops, Swanson or Bregman, who play the same position at the same age, uh, have been sort of peers the whole way through and play the same position, because then you'd have the problem of one of them would be forced to play probably a higher level than you'd want or one would be forced to play a lower level and they'd be developing at the same rate or you'd be forced to put one of them in second base, which they both played second, but you draft them that high for them to play shortstop. So I think they would avoid doing that. I think that's the limits of the just take the best player available, but that's a very specific example.
0: Right. So, yeah, so what you're saying is... Uh Teams are generally going to be looking for talent. But here we have a specific situation. It's not like they're attempting to fill a major league need because no team drafts that way, really, because it's not reasonable. But it is a situation where you ha- would have to deal with a, like an awkward logistical situation where you're like, oh, hi, Alex uh, Bregman, B. Swanson. You guys know each other. You've been competing against each other for a number of years. <laughs> Yeah, so a well, little strange here. We took you both, and uh. <laughs> they both had both their
1: hands in their pockets, kind of. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just uh, dragging their toes in the dirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. So, so there actually is, so it's, it's not as though, so teams are picking the best players that they think they can, but it's not as if there are zero logistical considerations.
1: Yeah, and people, <laughs> I've already had someone on Twitter say it to me, and I answered them in all caps. Uh well there you have Correa at triple A playing shortstop. So why would they take, you know, say potentially Rogers and Bregman? And my answer to him in all caps was this is not a problem. They are not worried about that. Having too many good middle infielders is not a problem. Right. Uh and was, I can believe I said it's the opposite of a problem.
0: Right. Well uh, essentially what you're saying is he's good offensively and he's among the he's among the best defenders as well at the minor league level.
1: Yeah, oh my god, we might have two of those. <laughs> oh. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but like for instance, I have Minnesota taking out Bregman at six. They took, uh, Nick Gordon, the high school shortstop, uh, four or five overall last year. Uh, Gordon will be 20 next year. Bregman will be 22. That's enough of a gap that they're not the exact same. Age at the exact same level, the exact same position, and both of, both of those guys have a decent number of scouts that think they won't be able to play short. So in some ways, you're kind of diversifying where odds are one of them will. Uh, I think both of them will, but for at least you know some measure. But at the very least, you have a shortstop and a second baseman, maybe like sort of a Joe Panic type situation where you could probably play short, but you don't need him to because that other guy's a lot better.
0: Right, and it sounds like the I mean the other thing you're saying uh, is is it's just you're looking. You're saying are we going to be able to develop this guy in a way that benefits both him uh, and the club the most and if you if you're forced to place a guy either because what you're saying is like with the Swanson Bregman situation either you'd be you'd be signing them to the same team but one of them you know but then maybe would be going back and forth between shortstop and second or shortstop third et cetera or alternatively you'd be putting one of them at a level that's probably too high or too low for for his present talents
1: yeah and there there's another example of this. there was a team that I talked to a couple years ago that said they were looking at a high school catcher at like 40 50 60 overall something like that uh, for you know like around a million dollars. They had taken I think a high school catcher the year before or or maybe they had taken a college guy with their first pick. there was like another catcher in the system that would have been roughly at his level and then they had just signed a couple or one or two uh, July two catchers in recent years that were that would be around the same levels. And the scouting director was like, well, this guy would be about the same age at about the same level. We don't have an unlimited amount of minor league teams and reps. It's kind of a coin flip at 40 or 50. Like, you don't really know. The idea of best player available doesn't really exist at that level because it's sort of, you know, what kind of things do you emphasize, what fits best, that sort of thing. And he was like, I steered away from that guy because – uh Because I thought he would at best be getting, you know, 300 at-bats while he was playing catcher for the next two years of his career. I didn't think that would serve him well, and it was kind of a coin flip anyway, so that kind of helped move me in another direction. And it'll be fun for me to kind of follow that guy and that team along and see how that played out and, you know, how that catcher plays out and how the other catchers in that system played out. But that's a scenario, another one, where there's a little bit of thought toward need, but it's not to big league need. It's to this guy doesn't really fit into what we're doing, and it's a coin flip anyway, so I'll lean to this other guy because I think he might be, you know, I think he might be a guy we'd be looking to trade or he would cause us to want to trade. Like there'd be another action that would happen if this pick works out. Uh And you know these guys are all kind of the same anyway, so I'll so I'll lean this way. And th- there's some thought to that just as a development question: Would this guy be well served being in our system? But again, that's a very specific example as well.
0: Uh, is there any is there any indication that uh for a player, um and in, in you in you sort of mentioned these scenarios where where maybe the Diamondbacks would would uh, sign an underslot guy? Is there any indication that uh, players um don't particularly care to be to sign those under slot. I mean, I'm sure that they are excited. They've been drafted uh, by a major league team. But at the same time, it's sort of with the caveat that you're not as good as where you're being selected.
1: Yeah, Carson, I, I know you're not going to like this uh, living in New Hampshire like you do. Uh, <laughs> it's all about money.
0: <laughs> How does that have uh, to do with New Hampshire?
1: I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere living your hippie dippy lifestyle. I can hear you've got those chimes on the front porch we making do, noise.
0: I do have chimes. It's uh, Well, I should say we have chimes. Yeah, but
1: before you make a large purchase, you consult your dream catcher. I, I know what kind of guy you are. Okay. Uh, it, we have, I have, again pointed out in the Arizona piece that I wrote yesterday that, oh, if Willie doesn't go one, he probably doesn't go in the top seven. So that means when you sign him at one, you offer him like fifth or sixth overall money. Like that's how it works. Okay. And, and that's why, that's one of the reasons why I think agents, especially in the way that the CBA has worked out for the draft this year, uh, I've had agents uh, randomly reach out to me in the last couple of years. In fact, one of them reached out to me today that I had never talked to before because they know the perception that drives the bonuses is driven by the media people that people pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And, for instance, Kyle Freeland signed for way below slot last year at 8. And I don't know if it was because of what I wrote, but I wrote two hours before the draft, uh, two scouting directors picking in the 20 said they wouldn't take Freeland because they're worried about his medical. And the Rockies weren't worried about his medical, but they knew everybody else was. So they signed him for, like, 18th overall money or something like that at 8. Um, and I think if I didn't say that, I, he may have gotten the exact same bonus. Like, there may have been enough uh, of a consensus in, in the industry that everyone was aware of. And, every, you know, the agent and the team were willing to admit it and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, the advisor at that point. Yeah. Um, but that... That sort of consensus a lot of times is driven by a team thinking, does everyone else know this? And then they see, you know, like me or somebody else, right? And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess everybody does know that, or at least they do now. Uh, but enough guys did that told him that. And so now the sort of perception is more important, uh, which means the agents are, I think – sorry, the advisors are, <laughs> are more – uh they're more aware of what's going on, and I'll get texts from advisors saying, "Hey, you had my guy going. You know, like eighteen. Like, you think you might be able to get him up to fourteen on that list, or get him up a few spots on that mock, or he just had like a pre-draft workout with this team, which maybe the team told the agent not to get that out, but the agent is more interested in getting out that the team, at, you know, twelve is interested in his guy than the team getting mad that the agent leaked that.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I would imagine that the the players with their advisors are interested in. Um, I guess as are the teams, they're interested in controlling information to some degree.
1: Uh, yeah, I believe in media. They call it the uh, the spin zone, mm-hmm. is where is where you go after the speeches or the debate to get told what you saw. And then you've also got controlling the narrative. I think is another political term. I believe both of those are seeping into baseball now.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: why. That's why I think uh, there's going to be some super packs that go in the top ten this year.
0: You what is that? What did you just say, Kylie? <laughs> It's another political term. It's yeah. a joke. Well, controlling a narrative, it does not is not necessarily confined to political political world or media world, right? You have uh, the there's no such thing really as narrative. There's just disparate facts, and then everyone can everyone can render it into a narrative form.
1: Yeah, don't tell that to the people that commented on my Arizona story because a couple of them were very mad that there apparently is a strong anti-Arizona narrative of Fangraphs, which, of course, I always love reading those comments. And then I explained, it's not an anti-Arizona narrative. The entire industry doesn't know what they're doing, and here's the nine reasons why they think that. And these are all in just the last, like, five months. And then the responses were like, well, I mean, what if the team's good, though? And I was like, people in the industry aren't saying this team is going to suck or they're going to lose. It's, I don't understand what they're doing. So they're questioning the moves. They're not sure about the moves. The the past moves make them question what the process are to decide the next moves. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And teams
0: generally that have a, a process, uh, they tend to be more successful if you have a way of doing things.
1: Yeah, and I, I could read you the comment. I'm not sure you need to hear it. but no, I yeah, don't need Air, to hear it. Arizona has done some peculiar things in a very short span of time, and the fact that they are the only front office run by two guys, one that has never been in a front office and the other that's been an agent for like 10 years, it would seem to suggest their lack of experience may be affecting that they're doing weird things. And these things haven't worked out well so far. They could work out well. And I guess the other qualifier I put on it is this draft is so crazy. I've had multiple guys say to me what I hear a lot of July 2 scouts say, which is I won't laugh at yours if you won't laugh at mine.
0: So I think... think (laughs) Yeah. I, guess you, I guess
1: you hadn't heard that before, have
0: you? Uh, no, I, I hadn't, but it's a good pact between two gentlemen.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so while I think there is some judgment about the way they're doing things at the big league level, and there are some results, and I think there is some understandable, uh what are they doing? They're crazy. uh They're in trouble or whatever. I think at the amateur level, especially with this year's draft, and even I think extended somewhat to their decisions to sign Cuban players, there's some level of, well, none of us really know anything, so let's not go nuts on those, but it does seem to be a continuing trend that we're not quite sure what they're doing. Right. Uh, and cup- it, it isn't necessarily what other teams would do, but that doesn't mean it's wrong.
0: couple of comments. Uh, one of them is it's interesting that you said here are nine reasons, et cetera, et cetera, because at the bottom of one of your articles that I read earlier, uh, there was a link to another article somewhere called Nine Reasons to Use Coconut Oil Every Day. <laughs> three of them three of them will shock you. <laughs> And I don't, I, even want, I don't even want to tell you what those are. I just uh, I just tell you, don't laugh at mine. Don't, and I won't laugh at yours. That's yeah. one thing I wanted to say. The other was, uh, I believe at some point and somewhere in one of his uh, abstracts, Bill James noted, and I think the evidence for this was mostly anecdotal, but he did Wait, say...
1: But what, did he note how he used coconut oil in some No, he places? didn't talk about <laughs>
0: coconut oil at all, but... Um, but he did say that, generally speaking, he'd found that regardless of what the process was, generally teams that had a well-defined way of doing things um, were more successful than those that didn't. That, that was maybe a more scattershot process. Regardless, and I think that this is, uh, you know, obviously for years uh, there has been a there's been a tendency to say of the Kansas City Royals or to quote. Uh, was it Dayton Moore, that one should trust the process. And, of course, there have been a number of reasons not uh, to – there has not been a wisdom or even maybe an express process to trust, it seemed, uh, with the Royals. But the Royals did, and they have acquired a number of a similar type of player, which is a very quick uh, sort of player and uh, um, typically above-average defender, certainly in the outfield. And uh, they they had a good season last year. Um so even in that particular case, there is maybe reason to say, well, they're doing something right and of course, Brian Sabian spent years uh, signing aged uh veteran free agents and uh, well, there have been reasons to question Brian Sabian's moves, but the the team has won three World Series, so that's kind of the best scoreboard um, hmm. one can look at
1: that that's true uh, one of the one of the giants heavy hitters was at the Stevenson game also, and he was wearing an enormous. World Series ring. We talked about that for a few minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's good. Yeah, we, well, if you start again, so yeah, if you were to start saying, well, I don't know particularly what the Giants are doing. However, yeah. what they have done in the past has worked.
1: I think what they're doing is wearing a bunch of jewelry right now, so yeah. it seems like they don't really care what I think.
0: Yeah. Um, now, yeah, I was gonna actually. That that uh, reminds me of something I was gonna ask about, which is when you start to see the the higher executives in a team's front office appearing at games. I was wondering how that would have. How does that. How does that affect the various narratives that are going on, um, and how does it affect. I don't know what maybe what the the prospects themselves um, and, and their advisors how they go about things because obviously Dave Stewart is not showing up at a game in upstate New York just for fun, <laughs> right? He's, oh, he's not just what?
1: wandering around the country like I wonder if there's a game here. Let's yeah, see.
0: right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sightseeing with his wife. I don't know if he's married. In a Winnebago or anything like that? No, he's well, there. Well,
1: Garrett Whitley happens to be right next to a really nice bed and breakfast. So
0: right, it's it's a, it's a beautiful location, great prices. It's the weather's churning now in upstate New York. I know. Um, no, you made but, him
1: into the first black Jewish GM. Congratulations!
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, there was Sammy Davis almost.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was, yeah, he was right there. He was assistant GM.
0: Right, and of course Rod Carew. Although I think Rod Carew, I think it was his wife who was Jewish. I never. I don't think he ever converted. Uh, even well, I'm
1: glad we covered the,
0: uh. <laughs> All of the black Jewish people yeah, that come to this. The Semitic
1: corner this week has been covered.
0: Yeah. the um...
1: – So I have a friend with a front office who I would give a shout out to, but I know he doesn't listen to this. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay.
1: I think I've told him not to. Uh, that every time there is, like, something on MLB trade rumors, like, uh, oh, there's rumors that, you know, uh, Jake Westbrook's on the block, and there was, there's a scout from the Yankees there! And it was like, there's a scout from the Yankees at the games that the scouts from the Yankees are told to go to before the season. Like, it's... But people take that to mean, like, I don't think the average fan, casual fan, knows that there is, like, regular coverage teams do, and that if there's just us... Like, there's six scouts at every game in the minor leagues every day. That doesn't mean anything. They're supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. In many cases, it's told before the season starts that you're going to be at this game on this day, and there's obviously changes, but that's how it works. Now, for the draft, it's a little bit different, because people don't usually note, you know, on Twitter and articles if an area scout's there, because he has a small area, and so the odds of him being at any game on any particular day is pretty high. And even the the regional cross-checker isn't necessarily telling anything about a team's interest because he's got three or four area scouts he's in charge of, maybe five. And so, you know, it's less odds, but still pretty decent odds that he's at any game on any given day. And especially if it's like a guy that's supposed to go in the middle of the first round, that team picks in the middle of the first round, you want to do your due diligence on that guy. You're going to be asked that opinion, and that, that opinion may drive millions of dollars. Uh, now, the fact that a cross-checker there may suggest the guy is a top-three-round prospect if you didn't know that he was, and if there's, like, 15 cross-checkers there, it may suggest he's a first-rounder if you didn't already know that. But where you start then getting indicators of a team's interest is when you get to late in the season, and it's you've seen the cross-checker from this team at all of this guy's games, which I've heard from multiple guys on multiple players. And when you start seeing VPs and these guys that are basically cross-checking the cross-checkers uh, and scouting directors, those start telling you things, right, late in the season – He can only go to games for the, you know, two more weeks before the draft happens. And he chose to come to this game, this guy that's making decisions. That's kind of a loud voice in this room. You know, unless it's like a random Tuesday and there was a huge game Monday everyone was at, he's not coming to this part of the country for no reason. Uh, and then when you're talking about GMs, that always means something. They don't go to games for no reason. Uh, and it could just mean he's one of the six players in the mix at this pick, not that they're definitely going to pick him. Uh or it could mean he was at a game yesterday, like Ruben Amaro, I was told, uh, was at Fulmer last night in Nashville, and then uh the day before that he was at Stevenson for both games, which I was at, and then earlier in that day he went to go see Cornelius Randolph. Odds are he's not looking at all three of those guys as like the final two or three guys for their pick at ten. Uh, but I bet two of those three he is, and I bet Randolph was the guy that was like, oh, if I'm going to land now and i got nothing to do for a couple hours, let's go see that guy. If our board blows up you know, and I really like this guy, maybe we'll make a move there. So there, you have to look at the context uh, of who is there and why and what they could have been at the day before or going to the day after or if the big league team was in town, uh, which is another telling thing, which could just be, you know, he didn't want to watch the team tonight because they're terrible, so he went to go watch some high school guys. So you have to look at the context. But the fact that there is a scouting director at a game even late in the season on its own means nothing. Uh, but if you think Tyler Stevenson's going to go eight to fourteen and the director of the team picking fourteen is there, and it's super might be his last game of the season, that probably means something. Uh, and then if you know other sort of indicators that suggest he might want to see that guy, then yeah. Now if the director of a team picking thirty is at that game uh, and this guy's not going to be there, then that probably means a little less uh and He may have been in town to see some other guys. So there's like a whole sliding scale of similar to how you use stats with a player where it's nothing in high school, a little in college, more and more as you go up uh and sort of, you know, drowns out the noise of the various scouting reports a bit. That's kind of the same level you look at uh for these guys, which is another reason why it seems like... Uh Twitter is crowdsourcing which games Dave Stewart's gone to, trying to figure out the pattern of well, he saw this guy four times and he's only seen this guy once, as far as we know. So well, yeah, I was wondering because
0: you mentioned like if there are if there's just one or two cross checkers. Uh, then maybe that means he's going, what, top three, five rounds, but if there's fifteen, that maybe is a little bit more substantial. I was wondering if you could develop, uh, some manner of algorithm involving... Oh,
1: you're trying to fangraft this, aren't you?
0: Well, no, no, well, but essentially what you're, what you're suggesting is a, is a sort of like a, a loosely constructed algorithm, but it does seem as though, essentially, the more important the guy within the team's, uh, sort of talent department, um, and then the more of those sorts of people who are at games, then the then this is a greater suggestion that the player in question will re, uh, will receive a higher bonus and be selected, uh, you know, towards the top of the draft.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess I guess you could loosely construct one if you had no feel for how that would normally work to give you an idea. Uh, however, like I said, when there's some uh, when there's, when there's some sense of, oh, he was probably in town to see this guy yesterday. I don't know he was there, but I know they're interested in that guy, so he's probably there for that guy. And you could explain away three of the six scouting directors based off of that. Uh, then all of a sudden you're, you know, kind of a, you can eliminate those guys. So yeah, there is, there is a sliding scale, but it's still very subjective. And as you get, uh, uh, you know more information. It could sort of make a, as they call, a lot of heat at a game seem less impressive for that player's stock than you may have suggested from just seeing who's actually there and knowing nothing else. Oh, heat! That's one of my favorite terms. Yeah. Say there's a lot of heat here, which I think Twitter has now figured out what it means because people like me and Keith have been saying it for a couple years now. Uh, but yeah. What do you it's, want?
0: To, uh, wait, is this an opportunity for me to give you a medal, Kyle McDaniel? No, answer? it's
1: a medal for the internet because they don't keep asking me what heat is, so I assume they figured
0: it out. Let me, so I would also assume that, um, seeing scouts and cross trackers et cetera, is more common at a baseball game in the suburbs of Atlanta, uh, from which region. Especially,
1: especially this year.
0: Right. From which region players are frequently selected. Uh, and it must be weirder in upstate New York. Uh, where this, uh, you said Garrett Whitley is, a, is an outfielder there.
1: Um. Uh, that would be, uh, uh, one of the another common term is a double up,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: which means commonly in Florida it means getting a couple getting a couple games in one day. A lot of, like I think I've said before, some of the high schools will play afternoon games because they don't have lights. Other ones will play at night. Then you've got colleges all over the place, so there's a lot of nice uh, double ups. Uh, in other parts of the country, a double up means getting one guy one night and then maybe two guys the next day, like kind of getting a nice little run for a few days. Upstate New York, not a lot of double ups. So if you're up there, you're probably there for one reason. If you're in Atlanta, you could be there for any one of like. Three dozen reasons.
0: Right, 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 and it, or right, and right because you could because you could see college guys, you could see high school guys, um, you could do. And
1: now, when we're in the playoffs, you have double headers on certain days, and then a third game on other days, and then some of these double headers start at one in one part of the uh, city, and then some start at four o'clock in another part of the city, and so you could easily a lot of guys saw three games on on Wednesday of three different players, Right. which you usually can't do in Atlanta because because of the traffic and all the games starting at the same time, you can't. Logistically, do but during the playoffs you can't.
0: Right, and it should be said uh, that Niskayuna uh, High School, yeah, uh, where Garrett Whitley, uh, roughly, um, um, you have projected him roughly mid round, of uh, mid first round. This is near Schenectady, and Alban, yeah. Albany. Yeah, you've heard of it, but um, there's not a ton going on. There was a guy
1: last year named Scott Blewett uh, that was, I believe, near Syracuse. Okay. Uh, and there is actually another guy for next year that faced Garrett Whitley, uh, named Ian Anderson, uh, that's a high school junior that's been up to like 92, and he's projectable. I think he's supposed to be going to Vandy. It's not surprising. Right. Um, he, he'll be decent. There's, there's basically one guy in the entire upstate New York area that matters every
0: year, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it, it should, I mean, there's a lot of space up there. Uh, and going to Syracuse even from Niskayuna, that's two hours.
1: Yeah, as I saying, this is basically the size of most states, yeah. and it, it's got like a player each year.
0: Right. Apparently, uh, what on the coast of New Hampshire, here Maine, we have uh, we have a guy Ryan McKenna, maybe.
1: Yeah. Although I think it's just McKenna, not McKenna, maybe.
0: Ryan and McKenna. No, I think it's hyphenated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's 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 married into the maybe clan.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's. <laughs> I, be, I
1: believe the patron saint is Michael Sarah.
0: Yeah, I get your I get where you're going. Yeah, okay, good. I get where you're going. Why
1: right. why don't they make the whole plane out of Michael Ceres?
0: What they, Oh, it would be such a cute quiet plane.
1: It's yeah, it's, it's a real callback. It would <laughs> have a ringer shirt on though.
0: Uh-huh. Um, in fact, the, the the thing to which you're calling back may not have made the, the program. <laughs> Oh no, so it doesn't even make sense. It may now. not have made the program. We were we did before make a joke. Craig Edwards made made the joke, why don't they make the whole plane out of the airplane out of airplane food or airline food. You you could see Good job, Craig Edwards. There we go. There we
1: go. You've incepted us into a joke that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. Um, I uh, listen. I might have to teach part of my wife's French class. Sorry, who? Uh, okay. I'll give it to you because I'm cutting short. My wife. All right. What? Uh, what are we missing anything here? Is something I'm not asking you about that I should be asking you about? Do you want to? Do you have some words about Buck Farmer you'd like to share? Nope. <laughs> um, I mean,
1: there's a lot of puns, uh, not a lot of the thoughts that I have. There's some, spoon- yeah, there's some notable
0: saying. spoonerisms one can make with regard to, or one notable spoonerism.
1: I don't know what that is, but go ahead.
0: That's when you invert uh, the the first letter of the first word goes to the second word.
1: <laughs> okay, I see where you're going. There. All right, yeah. No, spooner- I know in, in, in the South, it is a common term to say buck naked. So I feel like there's some sort of, some sort of joke to say that he's buck farming.
0: He's buck farming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, on, uh, and he went to Georgia
1: Tech, so I'm sure he's aware of this.
0: Yeah, he has a. I believe he was. Uh, he he had country, country manners. To quote, I think to cite a hip-hop album from the 90s. <laughs> is that – did they do that accidentally just now?
1: Uh yeah, uh, I think he did.
0: Country manners. No, I... Well, I don't know. Country. It's an <laughs> album.
1: Gonna, you, yeah, I'm gonna let you do this.
0: Is, it was by. I don't know who it was. Do you know who it was? I believe it was uh, Nelly. Yeah. But it may not even be spelled that way. No.
1: It's actually country grammar.
0: Country grammar. Oh, I like yeah. that. That's very nice, actually. Country grammar. Uh... <laughs> Brother of Kelsey grammar. <laughs> 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 we, we've uh, listen, we've we're gone done. into an
1: uncomfortable pun section. We're done. we're
0: done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done unless there's something I really ignored. You don't want to discuss Buck Farmer, uh, Carlos Correa. Do you have anything to say about Trevor Story, who's hitting quite well right now?
1: Uh, Not specifically. He's hitting well. I think I've said he could hit well, and he's one of those guys that I'll probably in the next month track down some people that have seen him and say, why is he hitting well? Why is, is he hitting well? Change?
0: I actually saw him, but uh, I don't know. Look, yeah, you, looked... you saw him in the when he was hitting, okay. No, I saw bites. him I saw him this spring, or this uh, spring, yeah. I saw him down in New Hampshire. He looked all right to me. What do you want me to say? He honestly he didn't look as good as Tyler Massey. So I don't know what you want me to say about that either.
1: Who, who some and by some I mean all I would say is a lesser prospect.
0: Yes, prospect Although uh yeah. Yeah. Although he's hitting fine right now. But he's twenty five year old double A. Anyway. That's all. That's it. That's it.
1: We've done it. That's I mean, it. We've recorded for 50, 64 minutes, and I think the podcast will be, what, 40 minutes long? Yeah, there's been some editing that's going
0: on. Let's, uh, oh, listen, we're not calling it the podcast anymore. I should have informed you. We're calling it the program. Oh, can we call it program? Because I feel like that's even more... Yeah, we I, can call it the program. Yeah. The pro, yeah, we can call it the program. Uh, uh, speaking of malapropisms, uh, thank you, Kyla McDaniel.
1: I am the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. <laughs> that
0: has been... Kyla McDaniel, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.
1: Fangraphs Audio.
0: What <laughs> is that? Liverpool? Liverpool This has, been Fangraphs. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>